are so grateful that you are joining with us on our podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are a church here in Salt Lake City, and we invite you to connect online at lifechurchutah.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning again to Life Church, and uh, it's really great uh, having each one of you here with us. Um, I'm not sure if you know this or not, and we're going to talk about this just for a moment. Uh, but there is a mask mandate in Salt Lake County. How many of you were aware of that, right? And um, so regardless, let me just give you a few thoughts um, about this. Back um, March of 2020, when all of this started, and uh, we were in uh, online services only for about three months or so. I went three and I held up four. That was like to trick you, about three months or so. Um, And then in July of 2020, we started services again on July 19th or July 12th of uh, 2020. At that time, we were under a mask mandate as well, and uh, we wore masks because we are part of our community. Uh, We are not separate from, we are with, and so we joined with them in the mask mandate and we wore our masks, uh, either happily or not, we wore our masks. Um, So then uh, on Friday, got word that the mask mandate would begin yesterday. And so then we have a choice, right, as a a church, as individuals to go whether or not we are going to uh, uh, embrace the mask mandate or we're going to go our own way and uh, just kind of refuse to acknowledge that. After taking some time to consider, realize we're still part of this community, right? We're, we're part of the Salt Lake County. We're part of West Valley City. And so um, we are going to be following the uh, mask mandate until February 7th or if it is uh, lifted earlier than that. So a couple of things with this. Number one, uh, whether you like the mask mandate or not, um, one of the things that you can do is you have a voice in our government, right? And so you are welcome to write representatives. There are... Uh, Uh, ways that the mask mandate could be shortened depending on legislatures and things like that. So you're welcome to express your opinion either for or against mask mandates uh, to to our legislature. And I encourage you to do so. Uh, Use the voice that you have uh, to uh, express your opinion one way or the other. Um, I do know that one of the struggles that we have with this is the fact that we feel that rights are being infringed upon when it comes to having to wear masks or being told that we have to wear masks. Um, And some have said that even goes as far as religious liberties as well. But let me just give you my perspective on this and help us hopefully understand and kind of work through this together. Um, One of the things that's not being asked of us as a church is to curtail the sharing of the gospel of Christ, for us to be able to meet publicly to express our faith in order to worship and things like that. So there is nothing about this mandate uh, that in any way inhibits the spread of the gospel of Christ or the, uh, the teaching of the gospel of Christ or worship or anything like that. So on that level, there is no concern whatsoever. It's simply a 30-day period of time that we are going to wear masks. And for those who are concerned that, um, that you know, this is just one step on the road to authoritarianism, and you know, I, I get it, I understand all of that. Um, however, we as a church and as individuals, we have choices to make when it comes to where do you take a stand? At what point do you say this far and no further? And masks are not it. Uh, quick history lesson. Uh, 1930s and 40s in uh, Germany, in the rise of Hitler and the rise of Nazism and things like that, 
uh, there are times for the church to take a stand against things like that because if the church does not, then what happened to the church that became the church state is that the church state loses its identity in Christ. And in uh, Nazi Germany, uh, the churches that uh, were there and chose to roll over, uh, they had at their altars the only thing they were allowed to have, a couple of things, no Bibles were allowed and they, all that they had was Mein Kampf, and, uh, which was uh, Hitler's thing. And so the church had rolled over. We are not there by any stretch, because there is no curtailing of the freedom of religion and for us to express that uh, in the way that we uh, would like to express it. So um, anyway, so we're going to be under the mask mandate as long as the mask mandate in Salt Lake County stands. And uh, yeah, I hope you understand where we are. And if you're frustrated by it, so am I. Welcome to the world, right? And uh, we've gotten used to not wearing it and we're in for just a 30-day period of time. So thank you for your understanding and your help uh, in this uh, for us. Um, So if you want to turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 2. And I just said Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to go there first, but we are talking about the book of Romans. And so uh, it's been about a month since we last visited the book of Romans, so I need to just review very quickly uh, a little bit about it. Uh, Number one, Uh, the book of Romans was written by a guy by the name of Paul. Uh, He was a convert to Christianity, turned his life over to Christ in a pretty dramatic fashion. We see this in uh, Acts chapter 9 and some, you know, kind of the beautiful story of his transformation. And um, along with uh, Paul, he became a leader within the early church. The guy who was formerly persecuting and uh, persecuting the church, bringing people uh, to jail, is now the guy who is preaching the good news of the gospel of Christ and spreading Jesus everywhere he goes. Well, one of those places is, um, is the city of Rome. Now, Paul had never been there before, and the church at Rome got its start probably uh, around the time of Acts chapter 2. And if you know your church, if you, or if you know your church history, know your Bible a little bit, you know that in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his first message. Uh, it's a Pentecostal message. The Spirit of God comes down on everybody who's there. Thousands of people come to Christ on that day. Many of them are from out of town. And some of those folks were probably from Rome, and they made their way back to Rome and started a church. Now, the way that the church is normally started back in the New Testament was they would start in the synagogue. So they would start out of Jewish believers uh, or Jewish converts to Christianity. And this was probably the same thing that happened in Rome. And so uh, they made their way back to the synagogue in Rome. And as they began telling others about this Messiah, Jesus, who is the answer to all of their prayers, all their longings uh, that they were just hoping for in their faith, um, that uh, as they shared Jesus, it seeped out of that synagogue and into the highways and the byways, into workplaces, into neighborhoods. And people who were not Jewish began coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Where would they meet? they would meet in the synagogue because that was the place of faith. And so inside this early church, and Paul knew this, and this is the reason, part of the reason why he writes the book of Romans, is that within the church are Jews who have an Old Testament understanding of God, who are now trying to work their way through who Jesus is, and coupled with that are people who have no understanding of the Old Testament, no understanding of any of the letters that are being written to churches in the New Testament, and they are all together in one church. And it is a beautiful mess. And so Paul begins to write this letter laying out this idea of what it means to be Christian. Because some of those in the synagogue and the Old Testament understanding did not understand exactly everything that was uh, necessary in this under, uh, uh, knowing who Jesus was and what it means to follow after Jesus. So Paul writes this almost as a systematic understanding of what it means to be Christian. And so it's a beautiful letter that is written. 
And so Paul uh, uses some Old Testament stuff. Paul uses some uh, current science of the day, talking about uh, human nature and human conscience and understanding. So he's digging into all of these things. He goes all the way back to creation and he talks about, um, you know, Adam as we're going to get to today. He talks about Abraham. We, um, we mentioned him a few weeks ago, uh, Abraham as the father of our faith. And then um, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament further back than Jesus, right? He goes further back than Abraham, past Noah, all the way to Genesis chapter two, uh, where we get to this idea of the Garden of Eden. And inside the Garden of Eden, uh, per, uh, somebody named Adam and his wife Eve in a garden. All right, thank you for listening to that. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, review there. So I like coffee. Any of you, any, anybody like coffee? Any fans? Got, raise your hand proudly. All right, very good. All right. How many of you are like, forget coffee, it is the devil's juice? Anybody? Uh, that, okay, there's a few of you right there. Okay, so, uh, so I, I enjoy a good cup of coffee, and I'm going to have a sip right now. Mmm. Nice and cold, because that's from first service. And um, so, uh, but when I drink coffee, and I do like to drink coffee, um, I am not the only one that knows I drank coffee. Because what happens when you begin to communicate? Now masks make it a little bit different. Those of you who had coffee earlier today, you know what I'm talking about right now because it is happening behind your mask right now, right? But if you didn't have a mask on and you begin talking to somebody, you go, oh, you had a cup of coffee, didn't you, <laughs> right? Because what I drank now all of a sudden is influencing the people that are around me because now my breath <laughs> is blessing somebody else with the wonderful smells of coffee. And that is, that is beautiful. My decision has not only impacted me, it has impacted others around me within my, my, my sphere of breath influence, right? So I try to be careful, by the way, with all of you uh, to drink my coffee in secret, and then breath mints, right? It's a great thing. Uh, another thing, right? That, and if it's not just coffee, right? It's kind of a silly example here. But um, how many of you within your family, you have like a favorite sports team that is like your family team? Is there anybody who's got that really quickly? There's a, hand, a handful of you that got that. So uh, the count of three, yell out the name of that team. One, two, three. Didn't understand any of it. That's okay. But it's like this, right? Because uh, when, a, when a grandfather liked a team back in the 40s, perhaps, or that would be a great-grandfather for some of you. Back in the 40s, right, they liked a particular team, and then that, you know, then the kids like that same team, and then the children of that child like that same team. It becomes embedded generationally, all because one family liked a particular team. And so that could be good, or it could be bad. Take, for example, let me just say this really quickly. Uh, a family that by chance likes the Cowboys or the Raiders, That is like a curse upon the generations that follow. That, how, who's with me on that? Yes, 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 right? My brother is a Cowboys fan. Forget the Cowboys, right? That is just terrible, right? It's like, you know, it, it brings bad things into your family. But blessings can be brought into your home through teams like the Broncos, Right? And all of a sudden, blessings, everything goes right. You know, you accept Jesus, number one, and number two, you cheer for the Broncos, and it just, something happens within your family. No. <laughs> right, but you understand that the decisions we make today have far-reaching impact, potentially, upon those who come after us. And it's a silly example. I know sports teams, right? I know there's big games on today, and I have no idea which ones they are. So, uh, so I know that that can be a very important thing for families. 
So in our culture, we have this tendency, our American culture, I say Western culture in general, we have this, um, this ability to make everything about us as individuals. Me, 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 right? Um, what I, and, and come to the conclusion that what I do only impacts me. That, that the decisions that I make are done in isolation and, and so it only impacts me. But um, we know that that's false. And we just talked about a couple of very small examples of proving that that is false. There, really, there is really no isolation that is so complete that your life has no influence on anyone's, anyone else's. There's, there's no decision that is in that realm that it does not affect anybody else. And this is uh, particularly or partially Paul's point in this next section on Romans, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Because there's something going on culturally that is very different than Western mentality. And we need to understand that as we get to the Old Testament, some of the things we're going to talk about here in the New Testament. Understand where Paul is coming from, where the understanding of the culture was at that time that's very, very different than our Western uh, culture. Um, so turn to Genesis chapter two, and while you're doing that, don't forget that on the Bible app, uh, we do have um, all of the notes and ways that you can take notes as well on the Bible app. So you go to the Bible app on the lower right-hand corner if you're registered uh, with the Bible app. Go down there, it says more, click on that, and then you go to events. Life Church uh, Utah should pop up. Click on the one that says live. I think there's two on there, but click on the one that says live, and that'll be today's message on there with all the scriptures. You can click on those scriptures, take you there, highlight whatever you want to do. So I'm excited for that as a new tool for us um, as we uh, kind of grow in the Lord. All right, so Genesis chapter two. I'm just going to read this with a very little comment, but it says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden or the garden uh, in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So this is really, uh, in, in essence, uh, one of the first commands in the Bible that then lists a, a, a consequence associated with it. This is a command, or as some could say, this is a law that's being laid down, and don't eat from this particular tree or you will die. That's basically the command that is there. You can hear God's heart in the matter. This is important. Then Genesis chapter three happens. And uh, yeah, just like uh, when your parents told you, don't do this, what do you do? You do it, right? I mean, it's just, you know, it just goes hand in hand. Uh, and that's not just kids, that's adults as well, okay? We're adults, we're not out of this whole thing, okay? So Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? He's trying to kind of dig at Eve here in this moment. Uh, then the woman said to the serpent, rightfully, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the orchard, God said you must not eat from it and you must not touch it, which she added, by the way, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like divine beings who know good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. 
She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her. Adam was the one who originally received the uh, command and now he's sitting there watching Eve and sorry, you know, pushing Eve forward a little bit. No, 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 no. You take the first bite. <laughs> you, you do it. <laughs> you do it. You go for it. It's kind of like getting on the top of that big hill when you're like seven years old and you know you're going to die if you go down that hill and your friends are going, go for it. It's going to be fun <laughs> on the bike. Yeah, yeah, good luck. So it says, uh, she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made cover coverings for themselves. And this changes everything. This changes everything. Disobedience to a command. That's the bottom line in all of this. Disobedience to what was known to be right. Why was it right? Because God gave the limitations and God is right. <laughs> And so they chose to try to, on their own, find out about good and evil, do it their own way. And what happened then um, is what's called the fall. And it was this decision that Adam and Eve made together that got the ball rolling in the wrong direction. Like a kid challenging another, um, and this one I know from personal experience, um, you touch the bare wires together. Don't do that if you're like, you know, whatever, younger than 18, don't do that. You did not hear that from me, right? And I touched them together and that was an exciting moment in my life when I discovered electricity. Um, Adam was right there with Eve, not stopping her, not questioning, right? But simply abdicating obedience to convenience and letting someone else take the fall, literally. And he joined her in that. And again, in our culture, individuality reigns. What I do does not matter to other people. I can go do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt other people, right? But not in Jewish culture and not in actually still cultures that are uh, within our world today. So this concept might be a bit foreign to us in the way that we view our society and our culture. We are individuals. The group is not necessarily our identity. But in the Jewish world of the New Testament, the Jewish world of the Old Testament in particular, the individual was only part of the greater whole. The communal reality, the communal nature of society, that was what was embraced. You could never say something along the lines of, I am not responsible for what the guy does down the street. Our world, we celebrate that. I'm not responsible for him. Back then, there was a responsibility that was communal. It mattered what other people did within the community uh, not just uh, I'm going to be affected by it, but everybody in the community is affected by what one person does. You could certainly not say, I am not responsible for what my family does either. You're deeply responsible at all levels, culturally, in that kind of a society, you're responsible. Joshua chapter 7, we see a picture of this. We're not going to turn there, but we see a picture of this uh, pretty graphically through a guy by the name of Achan. Everybody say Achan. 
because he was aching, okay? We're going to find out why in just a minute. Um, in Joshua chapter 7, I encourage you to go read this after service. You can read it right now if you want to, but after service, uh, take it home and read this. So Achan was this one individual. Uh, Israel had had a battle, and uh, he did what he was not supposed to do. He was disobedient to a command. The command was, don't take any of the spoils of war, the spoils of this battle, for yourself. Achan decided, you know what, that gold ring looked really, really good. That silver plate looked really, really nice. That Nintendo 64 classic looked really good. Let me go ahead and take that. So he took it, he buried it in his tent. Nation of Israel goes out the next day. They're going up against a much, much smaller city and they're expected to win. They don't even send their entire army out there because they know they're going to win. They get there, the nation of Israel is absolutely defeated by a much smaller, much weaker army. And Joshua, who's the leader, goes, God, what gives? We are the promised people. We can't be stopped. And God says, there's sin in the camp. One person. And you need to find out who that is. How'd you like to have that hanging over your shoulder? One person sins, and the entire nation is stopped. And so Joshua, through the process of a bit of time, God begins to reveal a particular tribe in Israel, a particular clan in Israel, a particular family unit in Israel, finally getting down to one guy by the name of Achan. Achan comes forward, he confesses the fact, yep, 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 I did it, I got the stuff, go find it, there it is, here it is, I give it back. But the communal nature of the world in which the, the, Jewish, the Jew, early Jewish world Old Testament was, that it wasn't just Achan who suffered the consequences of that sin. It was his children, his wife, all of his possessions, every bit of it was dealt with to us, a very, very harsh way. Lives were lost, all possessions burned, everything, because the world is a very, very different world culturally as they looked from the one person to the many. Now for us, we push against that, don't we? Because we are individualistic Americans. I want what I want and I want it now. Kind of like that old commercial about, it's my money and I want it now. Anybody remember that one? Or am I the only one? Okay, yeah, it was a horrible commercial. Um, <laughs> So, so Romans chapter 5 now uh, did all of that to give you a backdrop for us to understand what Paul is going to talk about here about this guy named Adam and why what happened then was so important in the garden. But now with Jesus, why does that matter as well? So it says, consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression. He's talking about Adam right here. So consequently, uh, there is condemnation for all people, for all of humanity from that point forward, from, from Adam in the garden forward, he is responsible for sin entering the world. That's pretty tough. And there are consequences for that sin. And then Paul turns it a little bit. He says, so too, through the one righteous act, the righteous act he's talking about is Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his, uh, his obedience to his father and the commands, right? Um, through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. So do you understand the comparison that, that, Adam is, or that uh, Paul's making about Adam and Christ? Adam from one to many, this whole idea from one to all, was bad and sin and condemnation and brokenness and relationship shattered and all of that. And yet through Jesus, 
one to all is now righteousness and peace and hope and life that is given to us because of Jesus. And just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Now the law came in so that the transgression may increase. In other words, uh, don't do this. Well, I'm going to go out and do it. You can't tell me what to do, right? The, the, so the law um, brought this increase of sin because we now know right from wrong. The law came in so the transgression may increase, but where sin increased, which is everywhere, grace multiplied all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, Paul's getting across this point that we are without hope without Jesus. That's the bottom line because we are just like our forefathers, forefathers, forefathers and mothers, forefathers and mothers, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We are bent by sin from the beginning. We're broken. We are people who transgress. We're people who are disobedient. So picture's pretty easy. So uh, here's a couple slides for you. So Adam, there's condemnation for all through one transgression. With Christ, there is life for all through one act of righteousness. In Adam, there's disobedience of one leads to uh, disobedience or sin for all. And through Christ, obedience of one leads to righteousness for all. And so if we were to summarize what was trying to be said here, I think um, uh, this uh, theologian's name is William Barclay. He says it pretty well. He says, by the sin of Adam, all human beings became sinners and were alienated from God. That's where we are without Christ. We are alienated from God. We cannot do this on our own. Then he goes on to say, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all human beings became righteous and are restored to a right relationship with God. That is a pretty fantastic uh, summary of what Paul was just saying. But I need to bring a little bit of clarity to what I just read to you. Because it'd be super easy to go, well, then, um, you know, Jesus died for all, so we don't have any responsibility at all. That that righteousness is just us because we're humans. But Romans chapter 5, verse 17, which is right before what we read a bit earlier, it says this For if by the transgression of one man death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ? Those who receive becomes the most important uh, decision that we have to make in our life. Those who receive. The responsibility that we have is to receive this gift that's given to us in Jesus Christ. That's that responsibility. And that's everything that Paul's been talking about up to this point is dealing with faith, dealing with understanding that we are transformed by this Jesus, that when we receive this gift, that Jesus is to us. Um, Paul basically says, or it's completely true, that the world was ruined by sin, but it's rescued by Christ. Say so again, it is ruined by sin, but it is rescued by Christ. And he's here today to rescue all of us. And so the big question is, will you receive? 
I know in Romans, we've been talking a lot about this, this whole central idea. I mean, it seems like week after week after week when we're dealing with Romans, Paul is driving the same point home, this, this idea of faithfulness and obedience and, and just um, uh, that relationship that we can have restored with God over and over and over again. But repetition bears, I think, the importance of this decision that we make in our life. That receiving Jesus is the most important thing we can do really is genuinely the most important. So this is where it starts today. We're going to receive communion in just a few minutes. But the most important decision right now is our status with God. Do we in faith receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and therefore being made right with God? That's all that Romans is talking to up to this point. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads for just a moment. You're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I am in a position where I look a whole lot more like Adam. <laughs> I look a whole, a whole lot more like Eve than I do look like Jesus. I recognize there's a lot of disobedience in my life. I recognize there's a lot of brokenness and hurt and pain and uh, man, uh, broken things all around me. And I know that I need Jesus. And again, it's not a snap of the fingers and everything is right in my life, but I recognize I'm on the wrong side of this equation. Again, I look more like Adam and more like Eve than I do Jesus. If that's you and you'd say, I need faith in Christ. I need the righteousness of Jesus in my life. I need new life. And you'd say, that's me. Can you just lift your hand really quickly? And I'd love to pray with you and for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands up. I mean, here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite everybody to repeat just a very simple prayer after me. Uh, You might have prayed this before. This might be brand new to you. Uh, but uh, it's, again, it's not magic, nothing like that, but it is just a moment for us to uh, together kind of make a commitment to Christ. Say, dear Lord Jesus, let me do that again. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for changing my life. Thank you for dealing with my sin. Thank you for dealing with my disobedience. And today is the day that I choose you. I have faith in you. I know you chose me a long time ago. I know you died for my sins. But today I receive your grace. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I'm so grateful for these who have prayed that prayer. Lord, maybe for some the very first time. Others, they prayed this a hundred times. But Lord, I thank you that now we are in right relationship with you. That's what your word says. It's as simple as a faith, believing in you and trusting you. And uh, so God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. If you are uh, here today and you made, uh, prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, there is that card in front. It says connect card. Um, I do want to invite you. You could please fill that out. Um, for us, and then we would love to come alongside of you, give you some tools to help you in this new faith, help you in this decision that you've made uh, this morning for Jesus. You can drop it off at the guest welcome uh, table uh, right after service. Otherwise, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet um, at this time. And uh, we're going to receive communion. Communion is one of those moments right, that we do by faith, just like what we prayed, uh, that understanding of right relationship with him. Um, that's a communion is this representation of the life and the death and really the resurrection of Christ. And so if uh, you would like, yeah, if you did not receive one, our ushers do have uh, some extra cups and uh, up in the balcony. Now you just raise your hand really quickly. I'd love to make sure everybody who wants one uh, right over here in the far right, way back toward the back there. 
Um, if you want to take that first layer off and that reveals the uh, little wafer and hold on to the wafer for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 26, um, Jesus is talking with his disciples and it's called the Last Supper. And I, one of the things that I love about this is Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what tomorrow holds for him in this particular instance and the cross is right around the corner and he knows it. He knows the inevitability of what's going to happen to him tomorrow. A cruel, horrible, uh, painful, painful death. And yet, what does he do? He takes time for those who are closest to him. And I just want you to know, no matter what you're going through, no matter the struggles you are facing, no matter what's happened today, even before you got here to church, uh, to be able to spend time with one another, um, God always takes time for us. You realize that? No, the problem that you have is not too small for him to be concerned about. The problems or difficulties you have in your life are not too big for him to be concerned about, right? He is with us in the middle of it and he loves spending time with us and investing in us just like he did his disciples. He could have said, you know what? This is a big deal. Guys, I'm checking out for the rest of the night. I'm not doing anything with you. I need to go spend some alone time. Uh, but he takes time with his disciples as closest to him. So no matter what you're going through, remember, this is what uh, Jesus loves to do is, is take time with you. But Matthew chapter 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Uh, later on in Corinthians, when Paul is kind of re, re, uh, recounting the story, uh, he uh, adds one of the phrases that's in also one of the other uh, gospels, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when we think about that, a lot of, uh, if you know the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 uh, says, by his stripes we are healed. And I believe that Jesus might have even been thinking about this chapter, um, chapter as well, that there is a healing that we have because of what Jesus does on the cross, what he's getting ready to do for the disciples right then, um, that he does on the cross, that there is healing for us and that healing is not just physical. Right? Although we may need physical healing, but there's you know, mental things. Jesus, I need healing mentally. God, all of this stuff is just weighing heavily on me. Uh, and Lord, I need your touch in my life. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken. You say, God, this needs healing today. Let it be that, that this is applied to us personally today, as well as corporately, that we need the healing of Christ upon our lives. And so Lord, we thank you for this emblem that represents your body that was broken for us. Lord, I thank you that in this life, we don't have to go this thing alone and that Lord, you are with us always. And so Lord, thank you for your broken body that represents healing for us. And so Lord, I do pray for healing in our congregation today. The brokenness, those maybe even are watching online, some of the brokenness that we walk through and maybe even that brokenness has kept an individual online today rather than coming here. But Lord, I thank you that you see them and see their hurt and see their pain. And Lord, you are bringing healing to them today just like you are to us in this room. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your broken body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take, partake together. open up that second uh, section there that reveals the uh, juice for us. And it says, he took a cup, he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. It's not COVID friendly at that moment. It was, they were passing the same cup around at that time. We have separate ones for us. This is, the, uh, this is my blood of the covenants. Now, they weren't drinking blood. <laughs> Just so we're very, very clear. We know that from what say, it says just a moment ago. But this is an emblem of his blood that was shed for us. 
we have the ability now to look back 2,000 years ago and to see that his shed blood for us has dealt with our sins. The disciples didn't know it was coming, but we get to see this. And our sins are dealt with, folks. We prayed that just a moment ago in that right relationship with God. And so we have freedom because of what Jesus did on the cross. He said, which is poured out for many. Remember what Paul said a bit ago, the comparison between Adam and Jesus, the one to many. Adam's sin affects all of us. Jesus' righteousness and obedience affects us even more, <laughs> right? And we have life. We have freedom. We have uh, that bondage is no longer a part, doesn't, uh, doesn't, hello. That bondage no longer has to be a part of our story. We are free in Jesus Christ. So he says, um, which is poured out, this, uh, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many so that their sins may be forgiven. I tell you, I won't drink wine again until the day when I drink it in a new way with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is coming back, folks. He is coming back for us. Even in all of our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and our failure, Jesus is coming back for us one day. And that's our ultimate hope. So Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for us. We didn't deserve it, but Jesus, you died anyway. And while we were sinners, while we were enemies, you decided to give your life for us. And Lord, that is a gift that we do not take lightly. Thank you for this emblem of your blood that was shed for us to make us free from sin. And so God, give us the strength and the courage to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Father, I'm so grateful for this morning. Lord, I'm grateful that as we have dug into some uh, pretty heavy and deep things about uh, Adam in the garden and the sin that was committed there that has impacted every one of us since that moment. But Jesus, I am grateful that when we receive you, and when we receive this promise of who you are, that we are transformed by faith in Jesus Christ, that our sin is dealt with, that we are made free, that, we are, uh, that, that our transgressions have been forgiven and we are made whole. And Jesus, we look forward to the time when that wholeness is made permanent in the new kingdom in heaven. And Lord, until that time, God, help us to continue to live for you, Lord, even though we do it imperfectly. Help us to have the courage to live for you. Lord, help us to represent you well in this world around us. God, I thank you that you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And so God, help us to, rep, to, uh, to be able to show that through the generosity in which we live our lives to those around us. God, help us to intentionally love others and to, to uh, be able to share Jesus. And Lord, help us to, be, to have your word deeply grounded within us so that we are unshakable. Lord, we love you. We praise you this day. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, one thing before you go, or a couple things before you go, don't forget some of the signups that are out in, the, um, out in the lobby. Make sure you sign up for those. And then secondly, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, we have a few members of our prayer team that are uh, here today. We'd love to pray with you about anything you got going on in your life. Uh, so as you make your way out, some of you, you can come on forward. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. See you next week as we continue our Roman series.